This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Whenever an architect sits down with a client on a new residential project, first thing that happens is a conversation about project goals and requirements. It is during this initial conversation that everyone tries to figure out what exactly it is that this project is supposed to accomplish. This phase of the work is widely referred to as schematic design, and that will be the focus of our conversation today. Welcome to episode 95, Schematic Design. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're going to kick off a new, approximately quarterly series of residentially focused episodes. Today we're going to start with schematic design. And so depending on whom you ask, this is the beginning of the design process in any project. All right. So schematic design. So I think that we should start the conversation off by just saying what exactly is schematic design? I would bet that every practicing architect has roughly the exact same definition of what schematic design is. You think? I do. Okay. Well, let let me hear yours then. Okay. Well, in short order, schematic design is the initial design phase in any project. There you go. (laughs) Boom. Okay. Nailed it. In that generic sense, yes. Yeah, because we haven't gotten into like what you do during schematic design, but The premise is basically that it's kind of the first step. You know, everybody, let me back that up. Not everybody. Most architects break it down into schematic design, design development, construction documents, bidding and negotiation, and construction administration. Those are kind of the widely accepted big five. For a lot of people, that's how they break up their billing. That's how they phase their work. That's where they have milestones established at those different points. And I get enough questions from people that don't really understand like what services they should get or not get or what's normal, what's not normal. I said, all right, let's talk about this a little bit. I'm going to come at it from a residential standpoint since most of the people that emailed me, that's what they were interested in, right? So. Yeah, I get it. I would throw programming in there, but that's actually could be part of schematic design, but I say it comes before schematic design. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. But we don't break it off from a billing standpoint. So programming is part. It's a part of what I would call schematic design. But yeah, some people say programming is its own standalone element. You know, and in the commercial world, that scope can be huge. Programming can be gargantuan. And done by somebody else, like another firm that just does programming. Yes. So, but in, in residential world, that's not normally the case. And in the portion that Andrew and I were talking about, is programming. It's when the client and the architect kind of discuss the requirements of the project, which is things like how many rooms and the function of those rooms and adjacency and and all that kind of good stuff. And once we get through that programming phase, that's when we start looking at like testing the fit between the owner's needs. That's when we talk about desires and wants and dreams and budget, right? Which is It's important to talk about budget right in the very beginning. Yeah, for sure. On any project. On any project. And (laughs) it's got to be part of that all-important fact-finding and data collection period. So the first time I get to put pen or pencil to paper or stylus, depending on how my mood strikes me lately, it's during schematic design. Programming for me, that's all Word documents and Excel spreadsheets. Like there's zero architecture taking place. In programming. Uh, okay. D- zero design. Okay. Well, that's semantics, but sure, I'll give you that. There's zero yeah. design work going in. I get you. Yeah, I agree, though. It's all like Word docs and research data and blah, 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 all that kind of junk. Yeah, all that kind of yeah. stuff. So what would your definition be? Is your definition like appreciably different than what mine was succinct. Come on, you got to give me credit for that. It was succinct and it was super generic. I was thinking like (laughs) if you started to break it down, it would be different among all architects. But yes, as the initial stage of design, I mean, I would tend to try to throw something about concepts in there, the initial concepts, initial conceptual stage of design, maybe. I think that's sort of inherent in the word schematic, but pretty close. I agree with that sort of generic notion. It's the first step in the process. Well, you know what? Let's address the generic notion a bit for just a second. So 
I think part of the reason the generic aspect of it works is because I don't think that everybody, you had mentioned when we identified this as a topic, you're like, okay, what am I going to contribute to the show? Because if we're actually titling it, you know, like, oh, residential studio schematic design conversation, since you don't do a ton of residential work, you're like, okay, well, what's in my bag? Yeah. And so we had a chat about, well, really a big part of commercial we'll say non-residential schematic design is perfect in lockstep. It's the exact same thing. Like there's no difference, but there are some nuances that are different. And I can tell you, even in in my office here at at Boca Pal, the deliverables on our commercial work in schematic design are wildly different compared to what we would deliver on the residential side of things like apples and pineapples. It's not close at all. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that, though. I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, and I don't know how deep of the conversation we'll end up getting into this or if we're just so out of sorts that it's going to make for a shorter part of the conversation. But on commercial work, we get more pricing work done in schematic design as a deliverable than we ever would get from a residential contractor. I mean, I, I don't know if it's the sophistication of the people that are doing the bidding and the work. Right. But when we put out a schematic design package on a commercial project, we get pricing from it and it's pretty good pricing. Hmm. I want to say we just got through, I don't know, it was like a year or two when the process started. We did an office building and it was a $50 million office building. And the difference between schematic design pricing and even DD pricing was about 18, 1.8, sorry, $1.8 million. Yeah, so. Right. So all the additional data that we put together and I go, the owner put us on hold a lot. Oh, yeah. And part of me thinks the 1.8 might have just shown up because this has been during the pandemic when pricing is going crazy. All over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not convinced that there was enough pricing information for these skilled contractors to make a big move on the needle between what they're able to anticipate and budget for in schematic design package than they were with a design development package, which was, I mean, it, it was a lot more, but still they're like, yeah, we got it. We got this. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I typically would have pricing information with a schematic package, or if we were working with estimators or a construction team, they would have that as well. And I mean, I guess the goal would be to try not to have it change too much as you move from yeah. out of schematic design to something else for sure. Well, you know, that's sometimes it's a luxury because you don't always have a contractor on board. Yeah. During that early on the project, it's a goal a lot of times, and we recommend it. We advocate that there's a get a contractor on board as soon as possible because then they're part of the team, yeah, right to to help us align those things we listed earlier, which were you know dreams and goals and budgets and all that kind of stuff. Help us align those early on so that we're not doing a bunch of undo or redo work where we're slashing the dreams. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. the calls. Yeah. Right? Well, and if, if it's too much in the beginning, it's sometimes I think it's really hard to pull back. The clients or even you as an architect kind of get, you get attached to stuff, right? And so to have to yeah. start slashing those dreams, like you said, is can get rough. Yeah. And you kind of go, well, what's the point of this? I mean, these are things that I have to have. And these, are, I just want a couple of things that I, I really want. Yeah. Maybe we'll have time to get into it. And maybe we won't. Or maybe I just won't get into it, but we just went through a pricing exercise on a project down in South Texas, and the pricing on it is bananas. And for a while, we were like, hey, you know, we should find a contractor soon. Soon. We should get this done. We should get this done. And the decision was made to not go through that process until we had a full set of construction documents. Hmm. And the cost per square foot is so out of whack with what we were anticipating. And I've talked to other contractors like, you got to tell me, look at this and what do you think? And they go, yeah, that's crazy. But anyway, that's a rabbit hole we may not get into further. So let's get a bit more specific about what schematic design means to me. And by me, I mean the residential side of things, right? And we can kind of do a little comparing and contrast on the commercial stuff. So for me, when I do schematic design, I'll prepare a series of rough sketches that showed the general arrangement of rooms and their placement on the site. Generally, I like to assemble all the information I've collected during the programming phase, and I start blocking out initial diagrams that describe the physical parameters of the project. 
And this is normally done in the form of, you know, quick sketches. The homeowner will approve these sketches before proceeding to the next phase, which we said earlier was kind of design development. Now, I'm skipping over a ton of stuff that we'll break down in more detail because I'm acting like we don't do any site research. We do, or code research, and we do all that as well. And, and that does happen during schematic design. But the goal of schematic design, at least in the context of today's conversation, is to get a viable definition of the spaces to be provided and considered and create an overall vision and feel to the project. That's really in a nutshell what it is. But we're going to end up needing to talk about where does cost figure into this? Where does site study work does? Where does code research? What does the programming process look like? Room matrix? I mean, we've talked about some of these things before, but let's, let's just start at day one. Right, so somebody goes, All right, Bob slash Andrew, team, life of an architect, want to hire you to do a house for me. And we're going to do schematic design first because we've already explained what that is in our proposal. Now, there's a fee consideration, and I'd be interested if, if you treated this any differently. Pretty much for the last 25 years of my career, when people break down their fee, 100% of what their fee is, into the schematic design silo and the DD silo and the CA and bidding negotiations and construction administration, what percentage would you typically allocate for schematic design? Yeah, I, I did all that differently than most, I guarantee. But usually it's about 25%. For schematic design? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a little bit higher than I normally hear. Yeah. 15 is what I would say 99.9% .9 of the time is what we hear. Yeah. So why would you go so high? Mainly because when I started working in BIM 10 years ago, you had to have a lot more information in the beginning. I front-loaded a lot of my project and design work because I had to have decisions made earlier in the process. So we had to know about materials. We had to know a lot of, about a lot of things earlier in the process in order to keep track and not have to redo work. And so our schematic packages actually had a little bit more information in them. And so it was really a little bit different, I think, by the time we got to submit what would be a schematic package. Yeah. It was more than typical schematic, but not as much as DD. So I usually kind of split the difference in there. You know, I'm not surprised that that's your answer because that's one of the things that I remember years ago when BIM was really starting to move the needle in terms of conversation and project deliverables a little bit. That was a conversation that we had is, how much from our typical construction document percentage, which most of the time I would see 45% in that, how much of that 45 needs to move earlier in the sequence because of what these BIM platforms require you to do from a upfront kind of work. What we found is we put more of that, the money we took out of construction documents, we put into design development, not into schematic design. And the reason we did that is because if I go back two jobs ago, it's because most of the work we were doing, we were all AutoCAD, number one. We weren't doing BIM. Yeah. And we still did a lot of handwork. I mean, it was not uncommon that mm. you would get schematic design scope of work shown in hand drawings. That was not that uncommon. And in fact, even in my last job, you know, the one where I had my name on the door, we were in Revit and we did all our drawings in Revit but I did all the initial design work on top of Revit-based backgrounds, Yeah. right? Because I don't want to open this can of worms too much just yet, but for me, it was all plan work. Schematic design was the introduction of all that programming information, all the response we got from the questionnaire. So it was like figuring out what rooms they want, figuring out how big those rooms should be. Did that align with the square footage number that they told me was in their head, which was almost always no. <laughs> Yeah, right. And then was this room next to that room correctly? And we would talk about connectivity and like where hallways and where views are. We would put it on the site. I don't want to present that information in CAD, to be honest with you. Hmm. I mean, the difference, I think sometimes, and maybe this is what manifests itself in an interesting way between residential and commercial, all our commercial clients, they know what they're doing. Like rarely is it a first time rodeo for these folks? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if the client hasn't done it before, he's got a team around him of people that this is what they do. So when we show them site plans and they're in CAD and 
and they're seeing technical drawings like right out of the gate, they understand it because you know what? They read those drawings all day, every day. Residential clients aren't that way. So there's a little bit more graphic sensibilities to how we might present that information. And the truth is, is we don't want to go so far downstream without them understanding the path that we're going on until they sign off on the plan. Like, here's another big distinction for us. We don't do any three-dimensional studies, right? So there's no elevations yeah. during schematic design for us. Like, you don't know what the building looks like. Hmm. I might, I mean, I say might, I do. Even when I'm working in plan, I mean, I'm working out where my windows are going to go and what my elevations might look like. I don't want that to be the focus of the conversation during schematic design. I want, do you want that room next to that room? And here's where the connectivity is and who gets up first in the morning. So, and you sleep on what side of the bed. And so the bathroom is on that journey. I mean, there's those kind of functionality issues that we want to work through. And the questionnaire that we send out to our client, like I edit every single one. There's kind of like, here's the base document and I'll go into it. Because we always have a couple conversations before we actually get that document in their hands. That's not a, hi, I'm Bill. Give me your programming questionnaire. I'll do that first. Normally, we have a conversation. They tell us kind of what they want. This is what I'm thinking. This is the style that I like. Those sorts of things. And then when they get the questionnaire, mm -hmm. it's still probably 15 pages worth of questions. It's not a little homework assignment. Yeah. And I laugh with my wife a little bit about it because sometimes it's the document that allows people to work out their differences without me sitting at the table. <laughs> but you having to marriage counselor them yeah. in that process. Yeah. 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 And I don't mean that in a nasty way because the truth is- No, is, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just you kind of go, your expectation versus the two people that are coming together to live in this house, do they both want the same thing? And they don't know all the questions that maybe they should be working through. And you might ask questions like, do you want a fireplace in the bedroom? And someone's like, oh, yeah. I didn't mean that in a dirty way, <laughs> but you know, like, yeah. And then someone's like, fireplaces are ridiculous. Why would we ever have a fireplace? They're so inefficient. Yeah. We live in Texas. We don't ever need one or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Why would we do that? And you go, all right, well, y'all can work through those kinks by yourself. I mean, I can tell you pros and cons, but there's no surprise. There's no surprise by the time it gets to me and we have conversations. So those are lengthy, lengthy documents. And so then the process from what we get all this question. We then go through it and we let them elaborate and we ask questions. We say, well, can you clarify this? And sometimes it's things like, do you want to eat in your kitchen? And we're trying to figure out, do you want a table in your kitchen? Do you want to- Do you need a dining room? Yeah. Do you want like an away portion where you actually have a table? Do you want a counter that has bar stools? Do you want a combination of the two or three? Yeah. So we have to work through all those nuances. Then we take all that data and then we bring it into our room matrix diagram. You know, I wrote a post on this a while back. It was interesting. I got a lot of people that sent me feedback. And this one guy sent me, it was an even better room matrix than I was using. And I was like, this is awesome. Nice. So then what we do is we take all those rooms and we start plugging them in. And a lot of times people forget rooms like closets and hallways and entryways and foyers and mm -hmm. AV closets possibly. And and they just think about the biggies, right? They're like, well, we need a den and we want a TV room and we need a kitchen. Yeah. And then we have three bedrooms. Three bedrooms. There you go. We're done. Yeah. So we ask questions like, well, what about mudroom? Is mudroom different from a utility room? And what kind of storage needs do you have? And is there a call closet? And it's like, if your guests are going to come in, what bathroom do you want them to use? You want to have an own bathroom? Is it? So we work through all that and we'll put together based on budget an estimated room size. So if you're doing, you go, I want to do a 2,000 square foot house. I'm not going to give you a 14 by 16 bedroom number two. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You might get like a 12 by 12 or a 10 by 12. Like there's things that give us clues on how big certain rooms should end up being. And if they want a traditional house versus an open plan house, like can I cheat some space between the den and the dining room in the kitchen so that each of those rooms can be slightly smaller because I don't have walls defining the start and stopping point of each one. Yeah. So we'll go through that. And then we get a total of square footage for the house, which is almost always bigger than people think it's going to be. Because they also forget things like wall thickness. 
Yeah, the thickness of the walls, yeah. And corridors, like circulation space. Yeah. The thing I was going to say earlier is we'll usually run like two numbers. We'll go, here's a 15% circulation number, and here's a 20%. And normally it falls kind of somewhere in between. This person, they're like, oh, it's always 24%. Like, we don't deviate from that. It's always 24%. Interesting. Yeah, I go, that's a big number, right? When you're talking about what you're doing. Yeah, that is a big number. That's a big number. And you're paying for it, and it's not checking any boxes on your dream house. Yeah. Circulation. Check. I love it. Yeah, I know. I love it. I want so many corridors. <laughs> I mean, give me so much. Oh, I want all the circulation. Yeah. And my students, when I give them programs and stuff, circulation is always 15 or 20%. Yeah. Keep it under that for those things. Yeah. Well, part of that programming room matrix, we all put an allowance per square foot for each room with the idea that, hey, kitchen is the most expensive room. So maybe we want to budget X amount. And we work down in a cost per square foot down to things like closets and, you know, storage rooms and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of just do a double check. And now this is buying a car by the pound. Like these numbers are ridiculous, but it'll tell me if somebody goes, Hey, my budget's 500,000. Here's my 18,000 square foot of house that I want. And I go, well, in order to get this, you're going to be building at $36 a foot yeah, or whatever it may be. So we'll have a budget allowance that we assign to certain types of room and we'll go through it and it'll inform that conversation. So that's then the information that we'll put into a really nicely articulated bubble diagram. Mm, Okay. Right. And it's just like room A is next to room B. And it's not literally bubbles. It may start off as bubbles from an architectural standpoint for our benefit, but we turn it into actual rooms and we start hinting at where their connections and where doors might end up being. But I go out of my way to not show exterior windows and to not give you an idea of materiality. Because you know what? I don't want people focusing on, well, I don't want to use brick. I want to use stucco or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, we're just trying to find out if we have the right number of bedrooms at this point. Mm. So how can we distill it down into what problems we're trying to solve, which is the part that we were mentioning earlier about this whole process that we're going through is really just to try to determine what the vision is for the project. For us, that's what schematic design is. That's mood boards. That's images that might help us support the design direction the project may take. It's plans. They're not articulated to the point where we go, you have three windows that are all three foot wide and they go to the floor to ceiling in this location. <laughs> yeah. We're not at that point. Yeah. Which again, I could see that in residential work, but in commercial work or non-residential work, that's a very compressed phase of work. Yes. And I could see that that's how, if that's 15% residential work, my guess is that's like 5% or something in non-residential work. Yeah. The amount of time you spend doing that kind of stuff is really short. Yeah. Because I can't imagine presenting any sort of hand-drawn anything to a, a non-residential client at, at the end of a schematic phase of work. Now, I will concede that we have been getting into Revit sooner. I will say the project that we just started that's down in Houston. Mm. And this is a perfect example. Really interesting people. I mean, they got so many moving parts to them. They are not single-faceted individuals by any stretch. And so it's really hard to get a pulse, get a beat on what it is that they're thinking. Yeah. And at one point, they're like, all right, it's going to be us. It's going to be our future family. We're going to live in this house. And this is what we want it to be. And they gave me all kinds of, I mean, like every room possible was in the program in the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. And then they said, and our folks are going to live with us, but we don't actually want them to live with us. So we actually want another house. A separate like little house or something. Yeah. It's Houston, right? So we're like- It's like an ADU or something. On our one lot, we want another house, but we don't want it to look like another house. And floodplain lifted up and we're like, wow, there's a lot going on. So we ended up going through programming questionnaire and we went through room sizes and projected budgets and there's a lot for them to take in. And then we did pretty articulated bubble diagrams. Then we actually blocked them out in Revit. Mm-hmm. And I went back over, I mean, I generated them by hand and then they got turned into Revit drawings. And then I actually, because I'm super inefficient, <laughs> went back over those to make them softer. And you know, and the truth is, call me old school. I don't do it because 
I don't know Revit. That's not the reason I do it. It's because I don't want people to feel like it's a finished product. That's a big reason why in residential work, I like hand stuff in the beginning because it feels mm. softer. It feels less rigid. Yeah. It feels a little more malleable at that point, right? Yeah. Here it is. We're done. It's drawn. It's in CAD. It, we're finished. Yeah. Well, so we made the presentation and they're like, wow, this is really great and interesting and give us a lot to think about. And I was like, well, you need to take longer to think about it. Take like a week or two. Think about it. <laughs> yeah. And they got back to us and they're like, yeah, it turns out my parents are just going to stay in the house that we're in now and we're going to go do the new house, but we don't need 40% of the programming that we had anymore. <laughs> That's all gone. <laughs> and I go, well, thank goodness that we decided to say, let's just do a roadmap on what the goals of the house are going to be in this phase. Because if I'd started blocking out like, oh, here's what the elevation going to look like. Yeah, I got too far of all that. All sure. of it, yeah. trash. All of it would have been trash. It would have been enough scope where I'd say, hey, you know what we were charging you, you kind of made a massive pivot in what you asked us to do. And we have to start over. We have to start over on all of it, other than programming questionnaire. Mm -hmm. We intentionally keep schematic design short. On a big house, it might last six weeks. That's it. Mm. That's really like three meetings is what we're looking for. So, so in the commercial, to me, it's different schematic and lasts much longer. So one of the things that we haven't brought up is things like site evaluation and code yeah. research. And you know, that is not that hard on residential projects. Code research, it doesn't change much. Now, I will say that sometimes there's requirements for the area in which you're building that says what you have to do. Yeah. But mostly that's from a like, we don't want to see the garage from the street, and you have to use these materials, and you have to use this percentage. Like, we see some of that from time to time. Yeah, jurisdictional stuff or HOA stuff. Yeah, that's DD-level things. Yeah. Not worried about that. Yeah. But on our commercial work, oh, yeah, we're well into those sort of things. Yeah, code's a big part in the beginning. Yeah, people know what the building's going to look like on our commercial jobs in SD. Yeah. They know, they know what they're getting. Yeah. It's different. Now, we're really getting in the weeds on... DD level stuff on commercial work, but not true for yeah. residential. So there's site planning stuff too, though, right? I'm assuming yeah. in this phase, at some point you go and visit the site yeah, as part of the residential process, right? At least once. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sometimes more than once. Yeah. So like the project that we have in San Antonio, they have a complicated lot and it has got a lot of topography to it and a billion trees. Somebody thought about building a house on it at one point, but didn't. So they like cut a driveway into all this limestone rock and then abandon it. Oh. And they created a shelf for part of a house, but it doesn't fit our house. So really understanding how much more do we have to cut in yeah. versus not cut in what's going to be soaring off into space because the site is slow. I mean, there's a lot. So going to the site is always part of that process. Understanding trees, understanding topography, understanding just like what does the site have to offer? Yeah. You know, in, in Dallas, a lot of times you're like, your lot is this rectangle. You're going to get between zero and two feet of grade across the whole thing. Yeah. There is two trees and they're both either in the front yard setback or they're in the rear yard setback. In the backyard setback. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not as complicated. Now it does happen. Project we did in Wisconsin had a lot of site evaluation work that we did. The one in San Antonio site evaluation work. The one that's in Houston. It's in floodplain. Yeah. And we're surrounded on three sides by buildings and one side's a park. And you get to the site in a very odd way. It's almost like driving down somebody else's driveway and then you kind of pop out at the end in their lot. Uh, right? Like you would never know. You would never know. Yeah. The joys of Houston zoning. Yeah. And there's like a <laughs> power pole in, in the drive. Yeah. And you're like, so you could just hit that easy. It's just sitting right there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's a big part of it. So there are definitely building code consideration and constraints that we work through. There's definitely site planning considerations. Sometimes it's it's adjacent views. Sometimes that's, again, jurisdictionally mandated. Mm -hmm. Like to say, in the back half of the lot, you can't have windows facing your neighbor's property if you're within this distance of your property line. We'll get things like that that you got to study through, and it's going to have an impact on where you place certain rooms. Yeah, yeah. The project in Houston had multifamily surrounding it 
on two sides. And they're like five feet from the property line. It's four stories. I'm like, every single person. Is going to see in your house. Yeah. It's going to see everything in your house. So our diagramming that we did took that into consideration. And we're like, we're really closing off this side of the building. Every elevation that faces those multi-story buildings. Yeah. Almost no windows or very, very minimal windows. It's where closets go. It's where yeah. everything else opens up towards the park. And so that's a consideration that we have to work through. But again, no elevations, not at schematic design level. Mm. Some of those things, again, are the same. I mean, we're doing all that stuff on schematic for anything, looking at those things. It's just some of them are more in-depth. I think there's an extra layer when you do the residential work of jurisdictional things. Even though your code stuff may not be that intensive, but dealing with HOA guidelines and all that kind of stuff get to be more of an issue or another layer that you have to deal with it. They're not that way typically in commercial projects or they're not as in-depth and as impactful. And you may get something like, well, you have to have 80% masonry. Well, that doesn't really kill your project. Yeah. But, you know, in HOA where they give you all this stuff about what can be seen from the street and what the elevations can look like and, you know, you have to have this or that. Yeah. I think that gets to be more to deal with. But like you say, that's probably later down the line for you guys. Yeah. At least we try to make it. Now, I'm going to tell you that there are going to be architects listening to the show that go, oh, that's crazy. We'd go way beyond that point. And I go, but it's all still the same path where they define the end of SD and the beginning of DD just might be different. at a different point along that same path. Yeah. And I reduce the amount of fee that I have that's a bucket that's assigned to that phase of the work. And really the goal is, is I want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. We have good communication. Everybody's expectations are in alignment. Before we move out of this, here's what we're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. kind of phase. Sure. So it's even things like, we'll still have conversations about materiality, like what kind of materials do you like? What do you want your house to look like? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have those conversations. Sure. But then I'm doing air quotes. I go, that's not really architecture. That's not architecture. I go, that's still data collection. Yeah. You know, them sharing Pinterest boards with us and then us having conversations about, well, what is it about this picture that you like? Yeah. Right. And trying to figure out when they say, I just like the way it makes me feel. It's so clean. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, What does clean mean? (laughs) We got to work through that. And we have to have the conversation that says, well, all the pins that you showed me here are $800 to $1,200 a square foot kind of stuff. And you have a budget that's less than that. Yeah. So let's talk about how can we make some special moments, try to temper your expectations to a project that, quite honestly, is not within your budget. Those conversations are easier to have when you kind of dedicated this portion of the work to that sort of planning protocol. Yeah. You know, if I circle back to the room matrix, is that an internal thing or do you go over that with the client at some point? Oh, we go over that with the client. Do you? Okay. I mean, that's a document that they get to see, I guess is what I'm getting at. Oh yeah. Okay. So what we'll do is, for example, it'll be interesting to see how much of this I can actually share in terms of graphics and stuff, because, you know, I normally don't show full plans. On my site. Yeah. Because I go, well, it's somebody else's house. Sure. I don't know if they want all that information out there for all the billions and billions of readers. Yeah. But those criminals that come and check out. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, here's a little side note. We can keep this in the show if you want or not. But I've been getting like emails every day for cost estimating services. Oh, really? I went the last eight years without getting a single one. That's funny. I get two or three or four a day now. And I was having lunch with a contractor friend of mine today, and I just casually brought this up. And he goes, it's happening to you too? And I go, yeah. He goes, it started like six months ago. He goes, I get at least one a day. I might get some of those. He goes, what do you think it is? I guess me not being quite so hardline about it. I went, well, maybe because pricing right now is so bananas that this cottage industry of estimating services has sprung up because- what cost you three fifty a foot before the pandemic is now costing you five hundred dollars a foot. And if you can't get a contractor on board and even when you do and they get that pricing together, you're like everybody looks like rookies. They look like they don't know what they're doing. That's what I thought it could be. Yeah. He thinks it's just people trying to come up a reason for you to send them your documentation digitally. Mm. Send us your plans and your details and stuff. Oh. You know what I mean? Could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what he thinks it is. Although I got to tell you right now, I would not want to estimate anything. 
Yeah. Like at all. I mean, yeah, I could generalize. I would not want to do real estimating right now for anything because it's not going to last or the price has changed. By the time you finish that Excel document, it's completely different. Even the client I talked to him about this today, the client whose project came in shockingly over budget. And the thing is, I go in 25 years, I don't think I've missed a budget by more than about 10%. Yeah. Maybe a couple points, like maybe 12 or whatever. But this was like, I'm not even going to say, I don't want it recorded. It was so far off. Yeah. It was so preposterous that when they said, okay, what's the numbers? I go, I looked at my eye and I kind of shook my head. I go, I have no words to explain this. I, I can't. Yeah. It's nuts. It's nuts. Yeah. Like if I was doing just like basic schematic stuff and it's on me, I'd be like, everything's like five, $600 a square foot, whatever it is. I mean, for my commercial stuff. You know what? You'd be in line with a lot of residential stuff. Yeah. I'd just be like, that's what it is. There's nothing fancy. I mean, this is, yeah. it's nice. It's clean. I have a roof. It's the shape of an L. And they're not even attached to one another. Oh, yeah. So it's two ridge lines, shed roofs. And this is a house that probably the floor plan of it is probably mm, 2,400 square feet. It's two stories in one spot. Yeah. But obviously, I'm not putting a roof on the one-story portion where the two-story sits on top of it. Yeah, yeah, sure. So maybe I have, I don't know, I haven't calculated the squares, but 2,400 square feet of roof. $100,000 for a metal roof. And I was like, are you, what? Yeah, that is insane. Yeah. And they're like, what is it? Is it gold? You know, <laughs> no, right. Is it titanium? Oh. Is it platinum? It's yeah. a platinum roof. It's paint grip. That, that's that's it's just It's just plain paint grip. And I go, you know what? That is crazy. That normally would be, that. you go like, oh, you're going to pay about $45,000 for that roof. And we're 200%. I go, I, you know, it's anyway, <sighs> rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. So, but getting pricing. So what we end up doing is when we do that programming questionnaire, we do the room matrix. We put all this data into basically like a, a lookbook. So they'll get site plan study diagrams as part of it. They'll get hmm. programming documents. We'll have solar studies to say, look, this is where the sun's coming in. Because the other issue, like for the Houston house as we go, Look, you got people staring into your house, right? So we want to protect it. But that's the side that you want sun from. So when you build this house, the side that's going to be full of windows and stuff, there's no light coming in. Right? It's not facing <laughs> yeah. the right way. Yeah. And so we're like, we really want to rotate this house 90 degrees in order to protect it, but still get some like actual vitamin D coming in your house. Mm. And so we're going to say it doesn't work. The site that you picked with all this program you got Here's how we make it work, but I don't think this is what you want. And the result was they go, yeah, you're right. We don't want to do that. So they reimagined the whole thing. But that deck that they got, not only did it include the programming questionnaire, it included the room matrix that we went through mm. and what those things meant and where those things could be found and how big were the assumptions that we made. And in some rooms, they're like, that's way bigger than we think it needs to be. Mm. And so we'll have a conversation about, well... Why do you think it should be smaller? I can tell you why I've made it this size. <laughs> yeah. Like generally speaking, I don't want to do a 10 by 10 bedroom. It doesn't matter what the room is. I go, if I put a double bed and it has a comforter on it, right, as opposed to a sheet, and I have two nightstands, I am wall to wall in a 10 foot room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is not much extra space. So you kind of go, are you thinking this is like a double bedroom? Your options are limited. And I go, if I make it 10 by 12, I can pressure release all of that. So we just got to make sure to have that conversation. So that's why we'll go through it. So that information will be shared. The dollar assumption we've made per square foot for the various rooms, that's presented. And then we'll end up showing images that talk about materiality, talk about light quality, talk about style. And these are all things that we've gleaned from them. Sometimes they've shared. Mm-hmm you know, Pinterest boards or images of projects that they like or whatever. And we'll kind of filter that down into a more of a homogeneous kind of, it's not everything that you like. It's like we're cherry picking out things that all play nicely together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Trying to organize stuff in a way that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And we've eliminated the pictures that articulate, we like the light quality, even though the style is not what we want. So we go find a different image that maybe can articulate that light quality but actually is in the style of the house that maybe they might be interested in. Mm. So we'll have pages and pages of that so we can talk about, hey, what we heard 
This is what is the imagery that's being created in our mind. So we'll go through that and then we'll show them our floor plans. And they're done to scale. Yeah. And they're not literal bubbles. I mean, basically, if you look at a plan of a house, but you just get rid of like the exact windows. Like I might actually chop the wall open and do a single line to say windows will be in this wall. Oh, uh-huh. I haven't decided if it's two windows that are separated. Is it a gang of three in the middle? Is it one big one and one little one? So that'll be the package. That might be 30 or 40 sheets in this deck that we put together. Mm. So it's not a little amount of information, Mm -hmm. but it's just when it comes to the actual house, we don't do any elevation studies. We don't say, this is what your plan would look like with brick versus stucco versus we've painted it versus we're building it out of a cardboard box. That's not the focus of the graphics that we're presenting. Again, wildly different in commercial. Man, you know what the building looks like. Yeah. In fact, you might get like five versions of what your building could look like. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot different. You know, and, and the other thing I think is kind of interesting is, again, it really comes to the fact that this is data collection period. That's really, in my mind, and I don't think I'm, well, I'm not going to say it that way. I don't think that's necessarily typical for everybody. Like they might view schematic design as providing you with exterior elevations or, you know, I did a look online. What do you get in schematic design? Oh, yeah. And they had like electrical outlet plans. I was like, there is no residential firm that's doing outlet plans for you at schematic design level. Yeah, that's crazy. If you're paying for that, you're getting ripped off because it's going to change. Well, or hopefully you're not paying for it twice. Yes. <laughs> or they're just, they're just mailing it in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So really, in my mind, that is schematic design. That is soup to nuts. That's how I see it. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that document that you put together at the end is a reference point to get that consensus of agreement that you were talking about. Everybody realizes this is what we want, this is where we're headed, and you can, if you had to, pull that out every once in a while to go, hey, this is what we talked about before. Remember this or remember that. It was in that that book. Yeah. Again, overall vision and feel to the project. That is my goal for the schematic design phase. Now, we talked about this being like a quarterly series that we'll go through. And you know what? This is really just a super long definition of how it works for a lot of architects out there. I don't think that I'm particularly unique in the regard of what sort of information I present at this phase of the project. The next time we have one of these chats, we'll say, well, we're going to talk about design development. That'll be something that we look into because that's when things really start to pivot a little bit. And that's when you start to see different sorts of piece information. And we're not going to talk about that now because that's the next episode. That's the next episode. Yeah. So is there anything that you think that we've left out that somebody would go, well, they talked about all this stuff, but they left out blank. I don't think there is. I don't think this is overly complicated. It's really just kind of a pretty chill conversation about this is what I think you should do and what you should get during this phase of the work. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of anything really. Of course, in the site phase, I mean, there's utility things that you have to look at and blah, blah, blah. But we didn't dig into that too much. But I still don't think there's a whole lot that would be missing. No. I mean, it's all there. It's all there. Yeah. Okay. Well, then there you go. We just define what you get in residential work for schematic design, which means we get to move on to the would you rather question. (laughs) All right. All right. And since we're talking about houses... I thought we'd have sort of a house-related would-you-rather question. Uh, okay. All right. Is it my dream house versus my nightmare house? No. No. <laughs> no. But, you know, it could be. I think both of these are nightmare houses. It's which nightmare oh. <laughs> house would you rather live in? <laughs> okay. All yeah. right. Well, let's hear it. You know, and I can tell you, to me, this is a super obvious, easy, one correct answer here. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And I, the first person I asked chose the other answer. And I was like, what? You're a lunatic. And they're like, <laughs> all right, so here you go. Yeah. Would you rather, would you rather live in a house with no windows or a house with dirty floors? Yeah, that seems easy to me. It's dirty floors. Even though I hate the dirt, Mm-mm-mm. like I can't stand it, I got to do dirty floors. Comma, and you can't wear shoes or socks. Well, then that's not right. <laughs> like, come on. Look, I get to make whatever rules I want. 
Although, actually, my question would be, are they just always dirty? Like, I can't clean them? Mm, always. What is defined dirty? Like, I vacuum and then they're just instantly dirty again. Yes. There's, like, other people's hair on the floor. Oh, there's man, like, come on. Yes. You're just, you're going to step on something and you're going to go, ugh, something in between my toes. And it's going to be like an 18 inch long piece of blonde hair. And you're going to go, I don't have blonde hair. I mean, oh, shut Where up. is that coming from, though? That's gross. You know what? It is sand and grit and dirt and like just a random straw is going to be on like every room. <laughs> you know, leaves everywhere. Yes, all of that. Oh, it's man. dirty. Now that you're making it worse, maybe that's not what I want, but. Because I can't imagine not having windows. That would be terrible. But the depiction you just gave of that dirty floor <laughs> makes my skin crawl. Man, like, I'm just You know like, what? Uh, when you climb into bed, you're going to be dragging some of that stuff into the sheets. Oh, yeah, of for course. Sure. You would have to. For sure. I mean, I could say, well, I'm just going to wear shoes all the time, but I don't want to wear shoes in my house all the time. That's mm-hmm. tragic. I don't think you can. I'm going to say, <sighs> like, you're barefooting in the house. Man, yeah. Now I don't know. And then the house with no windows, I kind of go. You can go outside, like just go outside. I guess, but I don't know. I like looking out windows. <laughs> I like, you know what? Go outside. Yeah, but if it's like thirty degrees and snowing, I don't want to go outside to see what it looks like. I want to be able to sit inside and look out the windows. Okay, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Or if it's 108 degrees, I don't want to have to go outside. I want to sit in my air conditioning and look out the window. I'm going to be outside in my pool looking at my house with no windows. That's what I want. Well, that might be okay. Although now I just thought of, maybe I just play the floor as lava all the time for my the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> just jump from <laughs> furniture to furniture to furniture so I never have to touch the floor. Ugh, just seeing it. I could just set my house up like that, though, right? All right, here's a chair, and then there's an ottoman, and there's another ottoman, and then it's a couch, and then there's some chair in my bedroom to jump onto, and I just, I'm doing that. I'm just playing the floor as lava for the rest of my life. <laughs> okay, so, okay, that's funny, right? <laughs> but I still, you know what? I think that would work maybe for a while, because having it stuck to you, clearly, that's a horror show. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, you know, yeah. and the thing, the uh, thing that pushes it over when the question came up, I was like, just hair. There's like hair on the floor. And like, it's not your hair necessarily. Well, but I'm just thinking about like, so what happens? So even if- Kitty litter. It's kitty litter You drop food. Oh, it's dead to you. Right? You can't pick it up. Oh no, I just spilled this whole bowl of soup. Well, it's got to stay there. Oh, I didn't think about Uh, it. Oh no, not that. Right? Like after time, it's going to be- Yeah. Now I may have shifted because that's just- I may have to live with no windows because- this scenario is getting way too gross. It's so it's terrible. Way too gross. For me, it's the hair. It's the hair and the grit. That's what it is. Uh, I'm not worried about uh, spilling soup on the floor, right? Because I go, you know what? I'm like, you could clean that up, but you could clean it up and grit and hair and straw wrap, straws are going to show up. <laughs> it's just what it is. But apparently we can't, cl- I mean, I'm assuming I can't clean it. If it's dirty, I can't clean it. If you clean it, it just, all that stuff magically comes back. <laughs> But it's detritus. I wasn't thinking that if you accidentally like dropped a slice of pizza on the floor, you're like, well, it's there forever until <laughs> until your it- kids. Can we keep imagine all the stuff my kids has spilled over Mm-mm. there? You, uh-uh. No, it's so you can't do so it. Gross. So gross. Yeah, you can't do it, right? So it has to be no. house with no windows. I think I have to move no windows. I guess <laughs> I don't know. I don't like either option. I don't like either option at all. But. I will take cleanliness over, I guess, daylight. Okay. Granted, it says windows. I'm going to- You could have a hole in the wall and no window. I'm going to loophole it and say, I just got a bunch of skylights or clear story or something like that. Those aren't like necessarily windows. I mean, clear story, I guess, are, but I can have a whole bunch of skylights at least. Well, I'm going to say skylights is not the same thing as a hole in your roof. If you want a hole in your roof, yes. You want a hole in your wall that doesn't have a window in it? I'm going to say, sure, why not? So what about a glass door? No. That's not a window. Doesn't matter. That's not a window. No, you know what? That's not a window. No, you can't have it. <laughs> My house is going to have glass doors no. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say you can't do that. But I am going to say that you don't have to enclose your entire house. So you could end up having a wall that doesn't have a window in it, but it can have a hole in the wall. But just no window. And so that means you couldn't lock your house up. Somebody could just walk in and go, just climb in. Well, yeah. So I'm not going to do that. I'm trying to find a better loophole than that. Yeah. Even if you put them a pie, they'll ladder themselves into your clean, delightful house. 
Whereas yeah. if someone broke into my dirty floor house, they're like, I'm not, I don't want anything from I'm not, this. I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. I don't want nothing from this house. I guess like you could have a screened in porch. You could. I could go outside and sit out there. That would be okay. Well, that just helps you with bugs. It doesn't help you with temperature. If it's cold, it's still cold. Uh, but a little bit. But if it's hot, I mean, you're still in the shade. There's sun. Yes. You can have a fan. Yes. You could also have a space heater out there. So yes. there's ways to work around it now. Yeah. So, all right. I've loopholed it. I'm, it's no windows. That's fine. Yeah. That's the right answer. Anyone who says otherwise, you're dead to me. Like, there's no way. Like, you get... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How dirty are you? Can you take it? At first, I didn't imagine it being that gross. And then the more we talked about it, the grosser it got. And I'm of course. Like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Because if you could just clean it, then I go, you do realize the point of all these would you rathers is to make both options so bad that it's almost <laughs> impossible to choose yeah, between choose. the two. Yeah. And if I go, it's dirty floors, you're like, that's eh, not that. I just put on socks or sports shoes or whatever. And I go, no. Way worse, bare feet, sticking yeah. stuff, grit. Blah. But still, if even socks would not be good. I mean, you can feel stuff like that through your socks, and uh, you just have one sort of <laughs> one sort of pair of house socks, and they just look like a dead cat because they've got so much hair and stuff oh. all attached to oh. right. <laughs> so gross. All right, look, I'm going to say that's it. <laughs> We're in agreement. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you rather live in a house with no windows. Yeah, I just think so. Yeah. All right, but. Well, there you go. All right, so I think between that delightful question and our chat on schematic design, we've reached a decent conclusion to today's topic. So thanks for being with us today for episode 95, Schematic Design. Special thanks to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. Want to get every new episode automatically downloaded? Make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast player of choice so you can get alerted every time we publish a fresh and clean new episode. While you're there, please consider giving us a rating, and I would greatly appreciate it if you leave us a five bubble hand-drawn diagram plan rating for the podcast. <laughs> this is solid. That's a solid one. That's a, yeah, that's a good one. To get even more content, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com for blog posts, links, and info from this unbelievable episode and all the website has to offer. You can even add your voice and join the conversation. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers.